Now, I want you to pray. I want you to pray that we'll receive the message this morning. We know that we had a packed program this morning, a lot going on. And uh, thank you for, uh, for uh, hopefully you've been inspired today with a renewed and refreshed vision for the needs of the world. So I do want to share with you a message from the Word of God. I promise you I'll condense it, but yet make it meaningful and powerful. So can we agree in prayer? And I'm going to ask that Brad Abley would uh, lead us as we just pray that our hearts would be warmed by the Holy Spirit, that we'd receive God's Word for this morning. Brad? Father, we give you thanks and praise for your Word. We give you thanks and praise that your Word changes us and transforms us to become more like you and to give us your heart. But we pray that you would help us to hear with faith and with an eagerness to obey. We thank you for our dear pastor, Pastor Bobby, and we pray for your fresh anointing upon him. Uh, Father, in our hearts, let this not be, quote, unquote, just another message, but a life-changing encounter with you. Bless him and protect Pastor Bobby and Carrie. Go before them and prepare their way in their trip to the U.K., mighty name of Jesus we ask. Amen. Amen and amen. This morning you may turn in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel chapter 9, and I'll get to that verse in just a moment. Jesus told his disciples at the close of his time of ministry on earth, he promised, and we find it written in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, and he said, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses. Can everybody say the word witnesses? We will be his witnesses. And then he gives us some very interesting information. He tells us geography. You'll be witnesses for me where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That is an amazing prediction and command that Jesus gives to us. He tells us that our ministry, which was starting at that point with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, was going to begin in one locality, Jerusalem. It started with the birth of one church in Jerusalem, but it wasn't to remain in Jerusalem, but instead it was to expand from Jerusalem into the surrounding region of Judea and Samaria and ultimately to cover the entire earth. The theme that we adopted for this year's missions focus is what? Simply go. And isn't that simply a capitalization of, of the emphasis that we find in the Great Commission, which is what? Go and make disciples of every nation. That is our call. That is our mission. A lot of people want to get into a debate and an argument about, well, why do we need to focus on, on, on the needs in Nepal? Or why do we need to be involved with what's going on in Ukraine? When we have needs that are right here in our backyard, why do we need to invest money in other places around the world? Let me try to answer that. It's not an either or. It's a both and. It is Jerusalem. We are obligated to reach our Jerusalem, which in our area is our 757 area. Amen? Our neighbors, our our, our people that we work with, our co-workers, uh, friends and family. Yes, we want to reach them. But we're also called to take that same message around the world. It's not just Jerusalem, but it's also beyond to the very end of the world. And by the way, 
what we call the Great Commission, it's not an option. It's a command. It's not an option. It's a command. Go and make disciples of all nations. I heard it said best once when someone said, it is simply not right for someone to hear the gospel twice when everyone around the world has not at least heard it once. Have you ever stopped to think about how privileged we are in a country that is incredibly well evangelized? Yes, still plenty of lost people. But the availability of hearing the good news of Jesus, the availability and the access to broadcasting and media and churches on almost every corner is ample. And we'll continue our work to plant new churches in our area and around the world. But there are parts of our globe that are still in great, great need that simply do not have the advantage of hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. That leads me to our text this morning, which is Matthew chapter 9. And what I've chosen to do this morning is to pick a a narrative from the life of Jesus, just a little episode, a little clip out of his life and some words that he shared that will inspire us to thinking about the harvest and thinking about what are the keys and the principles of the harvest. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, and I have it on the screens, but I'll read it for you beginning in verse 35. The scripture reads, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Did you notice what an incredible summary verse 35 is of the ministry of Jesus? That summarizes his ministry, doesn't it? Went through the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and disease. Teaching, preaching, and healing, and setting people free. That was the ministry of Jesus. Look at verse 36. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest fields. As I was meditating on these verses this week, what I wanted to do is share with you very quickly six keys to the harvest. And some of you are thinking, man, how can he do that in 15 minutes? Just watch. All right, I'm going to do it. So I want to share with you very quickly six keys, and I put them in the form of single words. All right? So we find these six principles right here in these few verses that we read from Jesus in Matthew chapter 9. And the first word I chose is the word feel. Can everybody repeat that word with me? feel. Everybody say, well, yeah, I know I'll, I love to have good feelings. Well, Jesus had a feeling here in this text that was a little bit different. Notice what the scripture says. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Compassion is an interesting word. The word compassion is actually an original Greek word that had to do with something that was deep in the belly deep in the bowels of someone. In other words, 
down to the very core of you. When it says that someone is to have compassion, it's a word suggests that it's something that moves, there's emotion, there's feeling involved, and it's so deep on the inside of you that it affects your emotions, it affects your psyche. But it's not just a feeling, it is a deep sense of feeling that is actually God's love, but it results in action. True compassion always results in action, not just words, not just feelings, but it results in action. That's what compassion really is. Here we see Jesus was doing what? He was looking at the needs. He was looking at Jerusalem. He was looking all around Galilee. He was looking at all the needs of the area, and all he could see is everywhere he looked, he said, look at all these suffering people. Everywhere I look, I find people that are in need. He saw faces. I'm sure when he was envisioning all the people, he was thinking and seeing deep into their lives. He saw faces. He saw lives. He saw situations and struggles and hurts. It's not hard to imagine that he was looking at people who were proud, hurting, religious, rejected, bitter, great, small, jobless, workaholics, alcoholics, wife beaters, adulterers, gays, cheaters, embezzlers, religious hypocrites, thieves, whores, liars, and many, many more were those that he saw. But when he saw them, something was happening deep within him. He was feeling God's heart and burden for those that had no shepherd. The scripture uses interesting words here. Different translations change the wording. But it says things like this. When he saw them, he saw that they were what? Confused, distressed, and downcast, helpless, and harassed. All of them leading to what? One summary. They were like sheep wandering around with no one to lead them. Like sheep without a shepherd. Shepherds care for sheep. Shepherds feed sheep. But what would it be like to have a bunch of sheep wandering around with absolutely no leadership and no one there to care for them? You know the interesting thing is that not only when Jesus was looking and feeling for the crowds, This condition that he observed wasn't just true there. It's also true of our our world today. Amen. And as we really take a moment and pause and think about the needs of those around us, hopefully you will identify with this this first word here, to feel. Identify with that key. We have to begin, before we do anything else, we have to feel the heart of God. I believe before we get a vision... We need a burden. God places a burden upon our heart. We begin to sense his heart. When we begin to sense that, then that leads to a calling, and a calling leads to a vision. And I believe that's where we begin with reaching the harvest. Number one is to feel. Number two is to heal. Say the word with me, heal. We recognize in the scripture that it went way beyond just the compassion. It says in Jesus, not only saw the crowds having compassion. In the previous verse, it said everywhere he went, he did what? He went healing every disease and sickness. I'm using the word healing in a very broad way today to suggest that it was all about meeting people's needs. 
When Jesus went out for the harvest and when he was deploying others for the harvest, it was about meeting people's needs. It was about using God's power and authority to meet people's needs. Yes, it involved healing of physical sicknesses and diseases. It involved setting people who were demonically oppressed, setting them free. It was about meeting people's physical needs. Sometimes people aren't ready to hear the good news of Jesus Christ until they have some food in their belly. Sometimes people aren't able to even hear about the love of God until they're warm enough to listen to you. Can someone say amen? So this is about the word heal here is all encompassing. It has to do with reaching out our arms and actually getting involved with ministering to the needs of people. God's called you and me to heal sick people. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38 tells us about how the God had anointed Jesus to go about healing all that were oppressed of the devil and doing good. God's called us as a part of the harvest. Number one, we need to feel. But number two, we need to heal. Number three, the third verb is to know. Before we can really reap the right kind of harvest, we need to add to feeling and healing. We need to add to that some knowing. Know what? We need to know the condition of the harvest. In the text that I read, notice that Jesus describes it well. He looked out, he saw the people, he's in touch with the needs. What does he convey to his disciples? He sees the need, he turns to his disciples and he says what? The harvest, speaking about what he was looking at, the harvest is what? It's great. He also adds in John chapter 4 verse 35, it was ripe, it was ready. So what he was saying to his disciples is, look folks, Look, the harvest is ready. It's great. It's immense. The issue, the problem is not with the needs of the harvest. The problem is we don't have enough workers to take care of it. He was trying to get them to understand the condition of the world around them. You know, it's sad how many Christians, particularly in our in a Western culture in America, uh, are so insulated from the reality of what's going on around them in the world. It's so easy for us just to simply get caught up in life and to enjoy the comforts that we have and to be just engaged in the normal 24-7 that keeps us all pretty busy. Amen? But may I ask you this morning to pause for a moment and know what's going on around you in the world? Jesus was conveying to his disciples, I want you to know something, guys. You need to know the harvest I'm talking about because he was thinking about not just Jerusalem but the whole world. The harvest in the world is immense. Did you know that today the needs of the world are just as immense? May I just share with you and remind you, maybe some of you know this, some facts about the state of the world that we live in as far as Christian influence goes. Missiologists have concluded the easiest way to track people that have come to Christ, not come to Christ, and areas that we need to focus on our unfinished task of the Great Commission is to count what are called people groups. Not nations, but people groups. A people group is simply an ethnic and culturally unique group of people that are bound together by their culture and usually a language. So instead of counting countries, these specialists, mission specialists, count people groups. They've estimated that there are over 16,000 people groups in the world, all right? So then they divide them up into groups that are reached and unreached. So you may hear us throw around the term an unreached people group. 
An unreached people group means it is one of these ethnic, culturally unique groups of people that have less than 2% evangelical Christians in their population. You'd be shocked to know how many remain unreached. Today, 6,900 of the 16,000 are people groups that are considered unreached. 6,900 unreached. Did you know out of those, 427 of those unreached people groups, just 427 of them, have over a million people in them. In just that people group. Over a million people in that people group, and yet they are totally unreached. It represents that 2.91 billion people around the world have maybe heard the gospel once or twice, but never any response. In addition to that, there's almost 30% of people, that's 2.17 billion people, who've had absolutely no exposure to the good news of Jesus at all. Can you stop and think about that for a moment? Three billion people in these people groups who have virtually no exposure to what we take for granted every day? And I won't even bore you with the statistics of the number of people groups who have no written Bible in their language. I have probably 22 different Bibles on my bookshelf. Have you? And there's people who have no scripture, not even the gospels, just the four gospels. Don't even have the gospels in their language. My point is what? Look at the world. Do you see where the do you see where the, the green colors are there on that map? That suggests that those are there's significant evangelization that's gone on and significant established ministry and churches and stuff that's gone on. But the yellow means it's very nominal, and the red areas are those that are virtually unreached. Now, would you take a moment and look at the world with me? And yet we go through our lives pretty much unfocused on the unfinished task that remains before us. So we have to know and know what the condition and the needs are around us. That's number three. The fourth key is we must proclaim. You can never, ever separate doing good works around the world from the good news. The scripture tells us in verse 35 that when Jesus went around to the towns and villages, what did he do? He proclaimed the good news. One translation says he announced the good news. The good news, that's gospel, means good news. People today need to hear good news. Amen? They must, the good news is life-changing. And good news must always accompany our harvesting efforts. If we're going to bring in the harvest that Jesus described was great, the idea is we must make the good news a part of it. And what is the good news? That Jesus Christ came, lived, died, and raised again to change our lives and to give us not only abundant life here on earth, but eternal life. Amen? That's the gospel. And in addition to that, good news for a poor person is that they can be delivered from their poverty. 
Good news for a person that's sick and dying terminally ill is that they can be healed. Good news for someone that's demonically oppressed and depressed and discouraged is that they can be liberated and free. We have at our disposal good news to share. And it's a key to the harvest. There must be proclamation that's going on. That's the fourth verb. The fifth verb is pray. Notice that in light of what Jesus was describing to his disciples as, guys, do you see this intense harvest? I'm sure Jesus was weeping as he looked at it. Notice what he actually told them first to do. Now, he had already called these people to him. They were followers of Jesus. But what did he tell them to do? Ask the Lord of the harvest. He was telling them, the first thing you do is what? Pray. Pray. That's why we're spending 21 days reigniting our prayer lives. Praying for the nations. Praying specifically, he said, for what? Pray for workers to be sent around the world. He says, you've got to ask. I don't. I think it's it's not just clever. It's clearly inspired. The fact that Jesus tells us who to pray to, and he refers to pray to the Lord of what? The Lord of the harvest. So we're praying in the harvest. So if we're going to pray in the harvest, we pray to who? We pray to the Lord of the harvest. And we ask him. Asking is simply the prayer of petition. We're asking God. And there's a number of things we can ask for, but specifically Jesus says, ask the Lord of the harvest to get the workers and the effort going around the world to reach the harvest. That's our mandate. We have to ask. Finally, the final verb that I would offer you is number six, is send. Not only should we ask and pray, but we also have to send. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Ask the Lord of the harvest to what? To send forth workers, laborers into the harvest. Now, it takes God to change someone to where they're ready to get busy in the harvest. It takes God working on our hearts for us to be volunteering, to be workers. This means workers in kingdom, Jesus' kingdom across the board. This means being fully engaged, not just doing, you know, insignificant things with our lives, but we're really invested in doing something, being sent by God. Now, may I suggest to you that not every one of you are going to be sent as a residential missionary to some other part of the world, so just relax. Some of you are like, oh, my greatest fear is a five-year-old, six-year-old was that the Lord might send me the deepest, darkest parts of Africa. And, you know, <laughs> I had no clue at that time, but Uh, I've lost count of the number of times I've been to the continent of Africa. I know I've been to uh, West Africa 28 times uh, over over my 45 years. But the point of the matter is, I love Africa. But it took God to call me and change me, to give me a heart, to be involved with what he's doing around the world, to be involved in the harvest. It takes God to do that. But once God begins to affect people's hearts, then the local church gets involved by doing sending. Thank God for all the sending agencies. Thank God for all the evangelistic missionary agencies around the world. But none of it replaces the role and the importance of the local church to be a sending force. I'm so thankful to God that we're honored already at a a young age of his church. We've deployed two full-time families into, into residential missionary work. 
That is far from our goals. But it's a start. Amen? And we're going to continue to send short-term missionary trips. Send people to do short four, five-day, two-week trips. Getting them experienced, exposed, bring back, get you radicalized. Today, that's a word that's used mainly for the wrong kind of stuff. I want us radicalized for Jesus. Radicalized with the good news of Jesus Christ. And as we're radicalized and we're sent and come back more radical, that's when we can really make a difference for the world. The local church, even as Acts chapter 13, the prophets and teachers gathered together, prayed and fasted and worshiped, and the Holy Spirit said, it's time. Saul and Barnabas, you know, those that have been sitting over here on the side here, those guys, they're ready. Get them busy. Get them sent out. You see, they laid hands on them, and they sent them out. We do the same thing. It's a biblical pattern, and God wants us to do it. Can we review those six verbs together? Because they capsulize, I think, for us what some of the keys to the harvest really are, our divine strategy. Number one is feel, right? Say it with me. Number one, feel. Number two, heal. Number three, know. Number four, proclaim. Number five, pray. Number six, sin. Amen? Did you get it? Stand to your feet, please. Praise God. Praise God. I'm going to ask that our global partners and missionaries that we had here earlier would come and stand ready to pray for people that may have needs today. I know we have some prayer teams already appointed to come. You come and join them as well. I'm just going to open up the opportunity for you to come for prayer. This is a great opportunity for you to find one of these people. If God's begun to speak to your heart about being more involved, whether it's in your prayer life, maybe it's more in your giving life, maybe it's more in, in participating in a in a, in a short-term trip, or maybe God's even speaking to someone today that it's a part of your future to go maybe as a full-time worker in some other harvest field cross-culturally. It's a great opportunity to ask one of these teams to pray for you. And by all means, if you don't know Jesus Christ, come and allow someone to pray with you and allow the Lord to meet you at your point of need this morning. Praise God. Praise God. I'm going to ask that Brent would come and just close us with speaking a blessing over you. We appreciate Brent as our missions coordinator and his team of volunteers at our missions task force who planned and coordinated today's service. And uh, so, Brent, if you would bless us as we leave, and please, if you will, just allow the minister of the Lord uh, to go on here. Let's be reverential towards that as we're being dismissed today. Brent. Would you look up at me as I bless you? I bless your going this week. May you go with the love of God. May it consume every conversation. May it be a part of every part of your day, every interaction, your prayer times, your wake times, your sleep times. May you just know the love of God in a deeper way and may it just spill out in every conversation. May you go this week with the peace of God. May the peace of God that passes all understanding, may it be a guard this week about your heart and your mind. May you go with the power of God and the authority of God that that He has given you in Christ Jesus, that we may walk in it. May you walk with purpose this week and destiny, knowing that the God of the harvest is calling you this week out into the harvest. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. If you need prayer, please don't leave without coming up and receiving prayer.